Section two of the Black Cat, Volume one, number twelve, September eighteen ninety six. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tasha Mapes. The Black Cat, Volume one, number twelve, September eighteen ninety six. Section two A Kindergarten Hold Up by mabel shippy clark sam murphy knew no difference between right and wrong except that as policemen objected to certain things it was not wise to do those things when an officer was near as sam and the other boys ran away always whenever one of them cried cop no matter how innocent their diversion it was not to be wondered at that his standards were somewhat confused he did not distinguish between truth and falsehood the language which served his purpose best was in his opinion the language wisest for him to use as to stealing the rule that sam followed was of the simplest if you see anything you want get it if you can it had been a source of pride to sam's father and mother that they had evaded the officials and kept him out of school he brought beer for them though they always complained that the measure was not full when he was the bearer he took care of the baby he was too useful as a recipient of stray kicks and curses to be allowed to go to school it was when sam was a stunted old-looking boy of ten and the baby sal was five that many things happened for several years he had made a living by holding horses selling papers blacking boots and taking unto himself any stray articles not properly looked after by careless owners he smoked and drank whenever he had a chance. He swore almost as choicely as did his father. He sat in the upper balcony at the theatre and whistled shrilly when any of the actors uttered patriotic speeches. He could read a little, having learned from signboards and from the headlines of the papers that he sold. Being quite able to take care of himself, it made no difference in his welfare when his father was sent to jail for life for killing Sandy Mike Sullivan in a fight. His mother and the baby seemed to get on as well as usual, and it was several months before Sam noticed that he was kept short of money all the time, because his mother asked him so often for, "'Just a nickel, Sammy boy!' He knew for what she spent it. It was no new thing to him to see her drunk, and he did not care if she were, but it galled him to think how she had been doing him out of his money, when he prided himself on his sharpness. So he put an end to this strain on the exchequer by the simple expedient of not returning at night to sleep in the one room that the Murphys called home. It was two weeks after he adopted this plan, before that he thought that he would like to see the baby. Sam was fond of the baby and climbed the steep stairs of the tenement house. The door of his mother's room was open. Sam stepped in and looked about. Not so much as a chair was left. He gave a prolonged whistle, and went across the entry to Mrs. O'Brien's to make inquiries. "'Where's me mother?' he asked, dispensing with preliminaries. "'Dead,' replied the frowsy woman before him, with the unconscious brutality of her kind. "'How?' got drunk and fell down the stair, and broke her back, God rest her soul. "'Where's the baby?' "'The cop. He took her to an institution.' Sam turned away without another word. 
there was a queer feeling inside of him. He thought it was because Sal had gone to an institution, than which he had held nothing in greater horror, not even the jail. With a heritage of vice and a training in crime as his equipment for this world's warfare, Sam entered upon his independent career. He was quick and shrewd, and he always could fill his stomach, and not infrequently his pockets. At times he procured regular employment. Once, as guard for a green goods man, to let him know of any danger when he was interviewing a sucker, once, after he had grown into a broad-shouldered fellow of great strength as a bouncer for a saloon. But he preferred to live by his wits. There was more excitement in it. It was fifteen years after his mother's death that a morning in late May found him on the outskirts of a suburban town, Norham, near Boston. Sam always tramped for six months in the year. He had developed a taste for the country. He made a living easily and met agreeable companions. Usually he rode on freight trains at night and walked the country roads in the daytime. This morning he was in a temper at variance with the sweet May air that filled his lungs. By mistake he had left the train at a greater distance from the village than he had realized. It was already after nine o'clock and he had had no breakfast. Fortunately he spied a cottage in the distance and bent his steps to it. As he came near, the cottage resolved itself into a plain white building of a shape common to New England, and he heard children's laughter and singing and the tramp of little feet. "'It's a bloomin' school,' he muttered. "'No grub here.' Still, he did not continue his walk, for now there sounded from the piano a lively march which he had heard many a time from the street bands in New York. Besides, he saw in the square entryway of the old-fashioned schoolhouse, beneath little coats and hats, a row of luncheon baskets. He eyed them critically. There ain't a square meal in the whole of em, but dare better in nothing. And he stepped cautiously in and devoured the contents of the first three receptacles in the row in an incredibly short time. He was consuming a bread-and-butter sandwich, when in the midst of the sunken mouthful, which was also the last, his eye fell on a little hole in the corner of a pane of the glazed glass door. The music had ceased now, and a confused and soft-toned murmur was heard that aroused Sam's curiosity. "'What is them kids doin', I wonder?' he said to himself, and applied his eye to the hole with the promptness that characterized his arrival at a decision." Once in command of the scene, Sam remained motionless and lost in amazement. Ten, twelve, seventeen, he counted, of the prettiest little creatures, boys and girls, the oldest, not over five. He had seen children like them in the park in New York, but never so many together or with their hats off. Yellow curls and brown, blue eyes and black, and an array of white pinafores whose clean crispness impressed Sam like lace and ribbons. It was a kindergarten established by the early comers among Norham's summer residents, who had hired this deserted schoolhouse, not very near any of them, and hence equally accessible, or inaccessible to all, had had it fitted up with long, low tables and little chairs, and had installed therein as teacher a ward of Mrs. Humphrey Brandon's. 
as sam watched the little people about the tables began to model in clay while the teacher told the story of a mother bird and her birdlings and one after another of the pretty children went to her to show the nest and eggs which had grown as the tale progressed looking and listening though he was sam neither saw nor heard a little girl who ran to the door behind which he stood and pulled it open revealing to the astonished teacher and children a disreputable unshaven tramp in a stooping position the teacher sprang to her feet in alarm though in an instant she was controlled that she might not make the children afraid she was a girl of twenty and not comely though her face looked sweet and motherly as she clasped one sobbing child to her breast and walked a step nearer to the door what can i do for you she asked now the unmasking of sam's ambush had disconcerted him more than he would have acknowledged even to himself and the effort at recovery of his self-possession caused him to assume the air of audacity which had made him for years the idol of the urchins of mulberry bend it angered him too to see how the mere sight of him standing in the doorway had thrown into confusion the pretty scene on which he had been looking straightening himself with an air of impudence and command that made the poor teacher shake with fright he replied to her question what can you do for me a lot miss i come to see you and the little kids trot em out show me their paces and sam seated himself in the magisterial seat with an assumption of being very much at his ease and an effort at resemblance to a well-known alderman whom once he had seen the take the chair at a primary you mean that you would like to see some of their games yes and have em sing commanded sam here was a way to quiet the children who in their accustomed routine would forget the forbidding aspect of their visitor making them form a circle their mistress led their thin sweet voices in the song of the carpenter and farmer with gestures illustrative of their occupations then they sat in their little chairs and listened to an account of the lighthouse and its usefulness to seafarers and they built lighthouses of blocks and sweet teacher as one child called her lighted candles in some of them and sailed a paper boat safely avoiding the reefs and danger points marked by the lights sam looked on with an interest amounting to absorption never had he supposed that childhood contained such interests such pleasures such stores of information his mind went back to his own early days and he dimly felt that its excitements were not to be compared to these delights he thought of his father and mother he had heard that his father had died in jail he had spent two years in the same jail himself he never looked for his mother's grave never even asked its whereabouts he thought of sal and wondered it was years since any of them had come into his memory the blocks were being put away to the music of a merry tune when the teacher's voice reached him as from a distance and her face was seen as through a mist would you like to see the children's weaving sam nodded grimly without looking up and gazed with an approach to reverence at the little figures that brought him pattern after pattern of woven strips of paper and the little fingers that held the sheets 
he hardly saw the first ones but as the mist cleared away occasionally he nodded judicially saying bully or bloomin pretty little kid a feeling of shame came over him that he had been so touched and he felt that his autocracy needed support so he leaned back in his chair thrust his thumbs into his armholes and ordered teacher make a march she had placed them in line with the tallest boy at the head and was passing by him to go to the piano when the tramp suddenly exclaimed stop in a tone that made her knees vibrate where did you get dat he said pointing a dirty finger at a silver coin hanging from her watch chain and adding reassuringly i ain't going to swipe your ticker don't be scared this i've had it always returned the girl holding up the dime with its engraving on one side sam took it be between his thumb and finger very much to her discomfiture and read on it in well-cut letters sam and underneath rudely scratched sal there came to his remembrance like a flash the day when he had found that coin engraved with his name and with a hole drilled through it in the street and how he had taken it home and had scratched on it with his knife the baby's name and had tied it about her neck with a piece of pink string who are you he demanded looking at her earnestly and still holding the coin sally brandon go on mrs humphrey brandon's adopted daughter who's your father the girl was almost crying i don't know i came from a home in new york mrs brandon adopted me and had me trained to teach why'd she call you sally they told her at the home that that was all of my name that the policeman who took me there told them and they gave her this to keep for me it was round my neck when i was received sam now was sure of her identity she was sal the baby he looked at her keenly then sat down again saying briefly set de kids a-goin while the merry march sounded against his deaf ears sam revolved the situation under ordinary circumstances if he had found any one whose leg he could pull he would have pulled it without hesitation something of the sort he thought of now for he had no doubt but that he could persuade her of his identity even though her baby mind had retained no memory of the tenement house days at any rate he could frighten her out of money but strangely enough he did not want to and this for the first time in his life when there's a chance of boodle he looked at her smooth hair her sweet face her neat dress he watched her skill as the music ran out from beneath her swift fingers he remembered her control over the children and her evident knowledge of her profession his thinking resolved itself into a murmur inaudible to her i guess she ain't got no use for a brother like me Anne he added with grim humor i dunno's i could use a sister like her so never a word said sam on the subject and then when the march was over he took his leave much obliged teacher for your politeness i wished i'd ha had a school like dis when i was a brat and i'm much obliged to de little kids too good-bye good-bye they shouted in chorus and the little girl whose weaving he had described as blooming pretty cried come again 
Sam stepped into the open air and looked at the blue sky and up and down the road, and then walked off with his hands thrust deep into his pockets, whistling very loudly the march that the teacher had just played. End of section two.